What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I'm excited to be here with you guys today. I want to remind you guys that today's episode is being brought to you by Ripped Nutrition. A major shout out to my sponsors. I appreciate working with them. They're a local company here out of the Treasure Valley. If you guys haven't checked them out and you're into you know fitness and supplementation, make sure to go over to Rip Nutrition. It's down off of Milwaukee in uh, downtown Boise by the mall. You guys should check it out. Uh, they're awesome. They offer one-on-one consultations, group consultations. So I always tell all my athletes that I coach and the ones that I'm around that if you're trying to get you know in shape for the off season, perhaps you should take a look into heading over to Rip Nutrition and uh, seeing what they've got to offer. They've got all the protein powders, the pre-workouts, everything you need from weight loss supplements to weight gainers. Um, they've got protein bars that are really, really good, and the staff is just awesome. So um, I'm going to put the, the, the description here for you guys to give them a call if you have any questions and uh, check them out. But on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking to an, a mixed martial arts fighter. So you have heard my episodes in the past, and if you haven't, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen. When I interviewed Harrison Rogers from the United Fight League, as well as one of the fighters from the UFL, um, Jackson uh, Fibu, we learned about the league. Well, today I'm, I'm interviewing another fighter from the UFL and learning about their experience. We're going to learn from him, talk about his fighting career, how he got started. Um, I do apologize for any of the audio issues that you'll hear in this episode. Um, it was kind of a tricky situation the last couple of weeks with my audio, um, but I hope that we have gotten those fixed. But anyway, we're going to be listening to our, our guest share his story. We're going to be talking about the UFL, what his plans are moving forward, and what we can expect from him. So strap up. This is the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game Time Boost. This is the Game Time Guru podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. Some of you guys might be new to the show, so I want to say welcome to this uh, this week's episode. Um, you might know our guest, or you might have stumbled across the show, and wherever you might be at, or whatever podcast you listen to, maybe this was a recommendation for you. We want to say welcome aboard to all those who have been listening before, whether you've been here from the beginning six years ago, or you're here now. Thank you guys for the support. Uh, at the time of this recording, we are in 180 countries, all 50 states in the U.S., so the show has continued to grow and grow and grow, and it's thanks in large part to our guests as well as our listeners and those who have shared the content. Even if it's just one share, you never know what that's going to do. That's what I always tell media creators, content creators, like you never know who's listening or who it might come in front of because that's happened to me multiple times in six years. Somebody has shared something, and all of a sudden that's spawned all these different opportunities because other people have heard it. Somebody might have a guest for me or a connection, um, and, it, and it sprouts. So I just want people to know I, I appreciate you guys tuning in. And the only thing I ever ask for anybody is, listen, if you guys want to show your support, the best way to do so is to leave me a review. So if you follow me on Spotify, just, just hit the follow button and give us a review there. If you're on Apple Podcasts because you have an iPhone or an Apple device, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are, it's a really easy way to get the show to grow more and more. Just leaving a quick review takes 30 seconds or less. So you guys can do that. I want to also give a shout out to, the, to this week's sponsor, which is Ripped Nutrition out of Boise. You guys know that they are an amazing sponsor for me. I appreciate them and all that they do. They've got so many awesome supplements. You heard it in the introduction. 
They're great at consultations if you guys want to go down there. If you're here in Boise, Idaho, which is where I reside, you guys can connect with them. Uh, they're also going to be having their supplements be able to be shipped out. So soon they'll have their website all built out to be able to ship them around. But their consultations are what I really love. Uh, Matt, who works over there, if you guys have questions, especially if you're a young athlete and you're not sure what supplements you should or should not be taking right now, uh, he can definitely give you some insight as to what's what's good, what's not. Um, and you might want to like consult before taking things if you're an athlete. So anyway, check out Rip Nutrition. I'll have them linked here at the bottom of this description. So now let's get into this interview, man. I'm super stoked about this. So I love fighting. You guys know this. Those who have followed me, I'm former boxer. I love I love all combat sports, but I have a massive respect for mixed martial artists. Um, I, I never fought mixed martial arts. I rolled jiu-jitsu, trained that for a while. And I did boxing, but I did them separately. I never, I never did mixed martial arts. I have a huge respect for mixed martial artists. We got a professional on the show today. We're going to be talking to him about a lot of different things. You know, the fight promotion that he's currently with, his career, what what got him into fighting, and everything. I'm going to try not to butcher his name. Amun Moon Cosme. So Amun Cosme is uh, the name of the fighter. We just want to say thanks for joining us. I'll be referring to him as Moon, which is his nickname. Uh, throughout the rest of the interview. So, Moon, thanks for joining us, brother. I appreciate you having me, man. It's, uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be on the platform. I always thank any of the hosts of any platforms uh, that allow like me as a professional athlete, uh, fighter, martial artist to come in and uh, tell my side of the story or, you know, just anything about my career. Because like you said, that one like, that one share, that one podcast, you never know, like, how that can be, like, a changing factor for your life or your career. So, like, you know, well, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you with us, man. I, I want to talk because, you know, a couple weeks back I had, well, it's a week. It's weird. From the time this recording has been a week and a half or so, two weeks. I don't even know now, but that I had another mixed martial artist who happened to be your opponent from the last fight on the show. And we were talking to him, but, you know, everyone has a different background. And before we even get into your fight breakdown and the mm -hmm. promotion that you fight for, and everything. I want to talk about you specifically. Okay. Kind of learn about who you are. So let's unbox, you know, your history, Moon, if you don't mind. Like, let's yeah. talk about your your history in athletics because yeah. I want to know. Like, did you did you compete in any, any quote unquote traditional sports as you were yes. younger? Yes. And talk about that. Yeah. So um, I'll give you. Uh, like a medium version not like the short version but not like the really really long version because really really long version that, that that's like a that'll take forever i'm a, I'm a talker by the way <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, and part of the reason why I'm, why I'm a talker i feel like the greatest gift on the planet that anyone can have uh is storytelling because that's how we uh evolved as humans like if you think about all the old days all the religions and stuff that people follow are the books and stories that are passed down for thousands of years and people still hold their faith and hope to this day based off of stories that were written thousands of years ago so like i love a good story i have a huge movie collection of over a thousand movies i have a book collection anything that can tell a good story is uh uh is what i believe is the great one of the greatest gifts on the planet but uh just to give you a little bit of background on me i love traditional sports my first love was football besides food Cause I'm a fat kid on the inside, but like besides food, football was my first love. And, uh, I had a pretty, uh, different, uh, and diverse upbringing. I never got a chance to play 
any uh, sports in high school, but I was literally obsessed with sports because I went to a private school. So I was I was homeschooled for a little bit. Then I went to private school and uh, I graduated early. I graduated high school at 16 because I did like dual enrollment, extra classes, all this other stuff. And my like my motivation for graduating early, I wasn't like a genius. I would just I was a workaholic. I was like, you telling me if I do all these extra stuff, I could just get out of school early. I was like, shit, like sign me up. <laughs> and then uh, I graduated at 16. And my motivation for getting out of school early was the fact that I didn't like school. And the first thing I did was go to college right after that. <laughs> so like I didn't have a chance to play organized sports, but I actually started my own football league. And it was crazy. It turned from like a backyard tackle football league into guys who weren't making college football teams to coming out and like playing football so it turned into like really good like backyard football like legit guys who could be playing for division one colleges or division two or juco colleges uh but they didn't have the grades they didn't have the work ethic so they were just out there kind of reliving the glory days you know like yeah i'm in college but i i don't I'm, I, I don't have a opportunity to play so our backyard football league turned into like we're just gonna do this every other weekend to like semi-pro teams coming out and scouting guys off of our backyard football and it's a crazy story because i i got you no know, i was trying to tell people this i didn't play football in college because I got injured a week before the season started, but I got recruited to play football and I didn't even play high school football. I got recruited off of backyard film that we threw together that of just like years of us going out and playing football. And because I graduated at 16, by the time I got recruited, I was 18, uh, 18 or not, yeah, I was 18. So like I had two years of like backyard football experience and I was just obsessed. I was like, I would, go home and mark out 40 yard dashes and just run 40s for no reason. I would uh, get a football tee and, and see how far I can kick. I would mark all 50 yards and see how far I could throw. I just was like, I wanted to be good at everything that football required. And the only thing that I felt I was missing was the opportunity to play on an organized team. And because I graduated early, like I didn't have that opportunity. Uh, so like, I got an opportunity before I got recruited to play college football. I was at uh, Georgia Military College and I wanted to play uh, football, but I was unaware you had to be a part of the cadet corps, the military program. So I signed up and then I realized like I had to be a cadet and do all this ROTC, all this military stuff. And that didn't end up working out because that's not what I wanted to do. So I ended up playing college soccer uh, just to stay in shape because I also like soccer as well, uh, just to stay in shape. And then I ended up getting recruited to play football. So I played soccer for a year at one college. And then I ended up getting recruited to play football in California, of all places, at a at a JUCO um, called Citrus College in Azusa, California. So, like, uh, it was funny because I was just like, what are the odds that you can get recruited to even have an opportunity when you never played a down in high school? So I loved organized sports. There isn't a sport I won't play probably – Besides golf, it's just not enough action for me. <laughs> but I'll play. I play everything. I like volleyball, uh, tennis, football, basketball, soccer. If it's if it's an athletic sport, uh, count me in. But the crazy part is, I was never a like natural athlete. Never the strongest. Never the fastest. The whole the whole nine yards. I just I hate not being good at things. So I would just give my effort like a thousand percent and that was kind of like the evolution of like me getting into sports 
and I got injured a week before the season started. Uh, and so I came back to Georgia uh, to try and see what the injury was about. I had some, you know, I tweaked my back and there were certain things I couldn't do. And then that's when I got into MMA. I wanted, I was looking for a boxing gym. Uh, there was no legit boxing gym within range of where I was. So I was traveling two hours to go to Atlanta to then train for two or three hours and then come back for two hours. And I could only do that like once every week or once every other week because I was working full time. Yeah. And I was like, man, it's got to be something closer. And the guy I was working with, uh, who was my manager at the time, he did jujitsu. And he was like, uh, I was just talking about how I wanted to like get into a boxing gym, just like, you know, or, you know, just to learn some self-defense and like, you know, possibly compete. But like, I wanted to do it because I, I like the feeling of like competitive sports. And he was like, you should try jujitsu. I was like, eh. like, he saw me like, I've watched UFC and fighting and stuff like that, but like I watched like early day stuff, like Hoist Gracie stuff. I was like, yeah, I, I kind of know what it is, but I don't know what it is. I was like, I really want to do like boxing. He's like, well, we got kickboxing. So he tricked me into fucking uh, coming to a jujitsu class. He told me the wrong time. I was like, I was like, well, you know what? I'll do, I'll do, I'll do kickboxing. Like, what time does kickboxing start? He's like, oh, it started at six thirty. So I'll get there at six thirty and. I'm like wrapping my hands and <laughs> there's no kickboxing going on. It's just jujitsu kickboxing didn't start till seven 30. So I'm just there. And he's like, Hey man, why you wait? Why don't you just come <laughs> train jujitsu? And as a 19 year old athlete or a 20 year old athlete at the time, uh, I got triangled by this girl who was a blue belt. And then this kid who was like 14 or 15, like scissor swept me and got me in mount. And I was like, what the hell do they know that I don't know? Because like, I'm strong, I'm fast, I'm an athlete. And I never wanted to like be the one like, well, if it was standing, like this wouldn't happen. Like let that ego get in the way. I took the other approach. Like what if I'm out there and I get into a fight and some some chick gets me on the ground yeah. and like, triangles me? Like that's not cool. So that kind of sparked the same feeling I felt like when I was playing uh, football and soccer and all that stuff. and one thing turned to the next. I went from having two jobs and training like wherever I had availability to letting one got job go and, and then training more. And then eventually I let my full-time, uh, I reduced my hours at my full-time job to go part-time and then from part-time to on-call. And eventually I was just like, fuck it. And I just like started running uh, the gym that I was a member at. I ended up being going from uh, a student to the general manager of the gym. So it was just like... I just kind of phased my life out of the normal nine to five because all the things that I was getting in martial arts, not just fighting, fighting is a small portion of it, but like just the whole martial arts journey and competing and fighting, it was fulfilling to my heart. And uh, it just kind of fueled that fire that I already had, like for, for competing and being an athlete and, and like learning about myself and learning about life. I was getting all those from, from training. So I just decided to say, Hey man, no more holding on to the safety net that is, uh, you know, your nine to five job and your insurance and your health benefits and the good money, like bye. <laughs> and that, that's not easy to do. You know, we call it yeah. burning the boats there. Like when, if, if people are trying to shoot for their dreams, they, yeah. they call it burning the boats and it's hard to yep. burn the boats, right. And go all in, but you did that. Now I'm, I'm, as I'm listening to your story and you're getting into the gym and you're now the general manager, you're, you're getting into the competition side. You know, when I first went into boxing, I was 15 when I first started boxing at Golden Gloves in Boise, Idaho. And I remember there was a lot. I mean, our sparring sessions were not 
light. They were they were way more violent than the, the actual fights we got in. Like, Boxers we don't know how to spar light. <laughs> it was great though. I mean, and they put us <laughs> in different weight. Like I mean, I'm fighting heavyweights, and then yeah. like, I mean, it didn't matter. Like we were all across the board, and there were many a days where we would just go in there and and beat the living piss out of each other. But it was great though because it taught us a lot of things. You learn a lot from every every person. But here's the thing: I was going to get at there. There were a lot of, of fighters that came into our gym that just liked to train and do that. They liked to spar and stuff. But when it came to the competitive side, like actually going to official matches and being in competition, even though that's, I, I believe some of those are less contact and stuff than what you get in our sparring sessions, yeah. um, there's just an additional pressure and responsibility that comes with that, such as cutting weight for some people and then you know having to travel or whatever. And there's just additional stress that comes along with having to fight. I guess for me, when did that – for for you, I should say, my question for you is, when did the change come from, like, when did you decide you wanted to actually compete? Was it immediate, like, saying, hey, I want to train and compete? Or, like, when did that switch hit where you're like, hey, I'm, so, I, I love training, but I want to compete, too? It's it's something, like, I knew nothing. Like, when I first started jujitsu and all this stuff, when I first started jujitsu and training consistently and things like that, uh, and I still had my – I let one full-time job go, and I just started training, like, instead of two days a week, it was, like, three and on the weekend. So it's like, hey, three classes and an open mat. And like, just like started kind of just building up that capacity. I just love the feeling that I was there. And I felt like every day I was in the gym, I was competing because as a white belt, you don't know shit. So it's like, <laughs> it's like every day is a fucking fight for your life. I tell like now as a brown belt and, and, and I'm an instructor, I teach kids and adults. I'm like, your journey as a white belt is to survive. Like you realize no matter how big and strong and whatever your attributes are that you're currently using, you ain't shit. Like your job is to survive. And when you start to learn how to survive more and defend yourself properly is when you kind of get promoted to that blue belt, because now you're recognizing things and it kind of just developed. I always had the that competition like bug and as an athlete in my, like in me. And then I felt like that in training. And then when uh, my instructor and the, and the owner of uh, the, fir the first gym I was at, uh, Frank Mullis, He's like, yeah, man, there's like jujitsu competitions. You should compete. You're good. He called. <laughs> this is how you know you had a legit jujitsu gym is when the owner don't know your name at first. So they give you a nickname. And even when they know your name, they still call you that nickname. <laughs> so like, I remember I was only training for like six months and I wanted to, it was, it was like maybe four or five months. It was probably a little bit less than six months and I wanted to compete. And I tell people like, as an instructor, I have to know 100, 200 people's names from kids to adults. So I, sometimes I don't remember everybody's name, but I might give you a nickname even if I don't know your name. But the more time you spend on the mat, the more like family you become. So then you start to address people by name. But like when I don't know somebody's name, I looked at a dude literally last week and I was like, hey, bro, uh -huh. I'm just letting you know I don't know you, but I'm going to call you J.J. Watt. And he looked at me so crazy. And I was like, you look just like J.J. Watt. And he just kept running. And I just looked at all the other instructors. I was like, hey, guys, that's J.J. Watt. <laughs> it was like my instructor, he called me Haji. I don't know why. He called me Haji in one in one uh, uh, of these tournaments. He was like, Haji, do this. And I was like, what did he call me? <laughs> like, and so, like, I had my first competition, like, six months in or whatever. And then I just remember that feeling of being absolutely destroyed and pushed past my limits in that competition i knew no better uh i didn't know all the rule sets and everything so when i signed up for this competition i literally checked every box i was like 
oh shoot, gi, no gi, absolute. I'm a white belt training going in absolute, like training against purple belts, brown belts, black belts. I had no idea. I'm checking every box. I had like 17, 18 matches that day. I was dog shit tired, but I just loved that feeling. I was like, oh my God, I love this. And then when he hired uh, the Muay Thai coach, Kurt Reinhardt, uh, that's when I knew for sure I wanted to compete. I was like, man, I was training there from like 2011 or 2012 to about 2014 when Kurt Reinhardt came along and I was only doing jujitsu competitions, but I knew I wanted to do like striking or kickboxing or MMA. I didn't, wasn't sure, but I knew I wanted to compete in the ring or in the cage. And I didn't want to tell anybody at first. I just kind of kept it to myself. I'm like, yeah, everybody's like, you're doing these jujitsu competitions. Cool, cool. And then when Kurt, Rein Kurt Reinhardt came, I had no idea of this guy's background. He fought Muay Thai. He trained in Thailand. He trained with Brandon uh, Brandon Vera in, 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 in Virginia. I think they were under Eric Paulson. I didn't know all these things, but we did training and stuff. And uh, Frank Mullis, I told him, like, hey, man, I want to compete. And him and Kurt talked. And Kurt was like, okay. He's also a professor of kinesiology, which I had no idea. So he knows how to develop athletes like strength and conditioning wise, too. So it was like having a, literally a guru like in the gym. And I had no idea. And then when I found out like his credentials, I was literally dumb enough to just do whatever he said. <laughs> like Sometimes you got to be a little stupid and just follow directions. And because he already competed, he's, he's been to Thailand. He knew all this other stuff. I was like, hey, man, I want to take a fight. He said, all right, you want to take a fight? Do this, 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 and this. And I was like, okay. I went out the next week, that week, and I did everything he said. And he was like, hey, run three miles. Tell me what your three-mile time is. We're going to do this conditioning, do this, do that. I was like, okay. He's like, I want to see where you're at, and then we'll we'll go from there. I went out, ran my three miles, came back with my time. I did this, I did that. All the stuff that you mentioned that people don't want to do. People like to go in the gym and train hard and spar hard and all that stuff, but nobody wants to eat clean. Nobody wants to run the miles. Nobody wants to cut the weight. Nobody wants to, you know, some people are good in front of the camera. Some people are like hesitant in front of the camera that like puts them out of their own element and stuff like that. Like there are a lot of other, uh, a lot of other things that dictates that performance. Cause now there are thousands of people watching. Are you the same person that you are in training when, when the, the lights are, 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 are shining? Do you glow or do you cook? Like, you know, what, what happens? So I just expressed to him that I wanted to compete and, uh, I remember after I told him my three mile time, he laughed at me and that shit stuck with me. I was like, what's, I, I was like, he, it was like 27, 28 something. I'm not a runner. I'm like a sprint, but I'm, I'm not a runner. And I was just like, I had, he didn't tell me what time it should be. He just told me go run three miles. And I guess he was just seeing if I was going to do it. See, like yeah. I came back, he was like, huh, and just laughed. And I was like, what? He's like 28 minutes. He, he was like, you're not going to fight. He says, you won't get, he says, you won't fight for me until you get to you break 21. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm not a runner, bro. Like, I'm trying to fight. Like, what is going on? And he was like, you better start running because, like, you could want to fight all you want. But he said, he told me words out of his mouth is like printed in my head. He said, no fighter of mine will lose because they are deconditioned. And he was like, you'll eventually get into the ring with somebody who might be bigger than you, stronger than you, or more technical than you. But one of the worst feelings, and he's speaking from experience, is when you are technically and like physically the better fighter and you lost because this guy just put on a pace that you can't keep up. 
Like you imagine that you cr you crushing the dude in the first round, you're giving everything, and midway through the second round, you just start getting like the tide starts to go. And you see in the fights all the time. It's like, oh my oh, god, yeah. this guy is dying out. And in the third round, this guy comes out and he just stomps you, and you lose the fight, even though technically you were better. You just didn't, you weren't conditioned. That's something that you can control. Like you can control that. So he told me what my time had to be. And as a dude who's not a runner, I just started fucking running. I'm like, I'm gonna run this three mile. I'm gonna eventually till I got it down to, I got it down to like a 19 two. And that's, that's flying for me. I'm not a runner. I'm gonna be like, oh God, oh, you could probably do 15, six. No, you can do that. I'm, that's flying for me. I'm fucking five, seven short, stubby legs. Like give me a hundred meter dash. Like not a, not a three mile run. And uh, I came back, I gave him the time. He said, cool. Now he says, you got the time, and I've been doing the strength and conditioning, and he was holding extra pads. He was like, all right, let's gear up. And we had our first fight in Florida in 2016 in May at the Maverick for combat night. I still remember like it was yesterday at the little bar in, <laughs> at the Maverick, uh, Jacksonville, I think. Yeah. Wow, man. What a story. And, and to touch base on that, I, I love the answer, though, because some people love training, but that there's so much that goes into being the actual competitor that you just yeah. mentioned and you referenced it again. And that is, you know, the, the eating, if you got to cut weight, you got to cut weight. You got to stay disciplined. The running, that is a big piece. When I started boxing, it's not the same conditioning as mixed martial arts, not even close, but our coach would encourage us to run five miles. Yeah. And I never did that when I was 18 and I was, I was boxing for Boise state's club team. And they were like, they were talking about running five miles. I was like, what? <laughs> Five miles? Are you kidding me? I've never ran five miles in my life at that time. I was like, that's not happening. But I would like run two. Well, here's yeah. the deal, man. It's interesting because my very last fight I ever had in the boxing ring was against a 28-year-old. I was 18. He was 28. I was light for like in, in amateur boxing. You could be within 16 pounds of each other to fight. It wasn't like you had to be on the same weight. What? And you so, can, hold on. You can be within 16 pounds? That's that's what it was back then. Yeah. But I mean, that's what I'm 34 now. So keep that in mind. I was 18 at the time. But yeah, that was the, that was the rule. So I weighed in for that match with my pants on, my, my jeans, <laughs> my, everything in my pants. And uh, like, I mean, my quarters and my change and my pants, I should say. And then like my... Uh, my shoes and everything. But yeah, I got to make sure I clarify. And then my opponent, whom fought for the same club as I did, uh, he was dropping down from 225, and he had to get down to 203. That was like his – our coach had said, hey, you get down to 203, we'll get Shane up here. And so that's what I had to do. But I remember him – he was running the five miles that our coach had told him to do for three months straight. And here I was just like taking it lightly. And I will tell you right now, the exact same thing you just said, and yes, it's boxing, not MMA, but he beat the crap out of me. Second and third round. First round, I was fine. I started gassing. Second round, he he got me in a standing eight count because I got caught in the corner and he smacked yeah. me four straight times. I almost got lit up. Okay, I was done. Third round, I don't even know how I stood standing. I don't even remember half the round because I was so gassed. So my whole yeah. point of that is, there are things that you have to do to be a competitor to compete yeah. instead of just train. And you were able to do those things, but that's that's not easy, yeah. not for everybody. But um, I want to kind of. As I see your transition into into fighting and seeing your transformation is going from an athlete mm -hmm. to a fighter. And first it was jujitsu, and then it was into both, like striking in. Yeah, you went into mixed martial arts. Like it's kind of cool to watch the transformation. Yeah, then, you know the professional side. There's there's amateur mixed martial arts that has its own set of rules, and you don't get paid. And then there's professional mixed martial arts, and on certain regional sectors, there's like you know the pay isn't enough to live off of, right? So you're still trying to. It's Right? <laughs> anywhere across the nation across the united states of america 
There's not one professional athlete I have spoken to. When you first start fighting, you don't make enough to buy food. Like my first fight ever was for two fifty and two fifty, which means two hundred fifty dollars to win to to show up, and another two hundred fifty dollars if I win. I won that fight, so it was five hundred dollars. I trained two and a half months for this fight, and as an amateur, I went eight and zero with three belts, and I still. I was like, man, this is a great resume going into my pro debut. Maybe I'll make some decent money. No, two fifteen, two fifty. Wow, see, that's good. That's the kind of stuff I want to talk about on the show. It's like it opens the eyes for the conversation we're about to get in because, unless up until now, like there's a couple promotions in mixed martial arts as it's continuing to grow. There's there's cage warriors over in in, in, the, in the UK and like Europe. That's great, mm-hmm. but here in the United States, you've got the UFC. Mm-hmm. Bellator has now kind of made its own little name. And then the PFL, those three were the fir- the top at the, at, for right now. This is where the yeah. kind of comes in as far as a promotion that's kind of disrupting the industry and trying to, you know, make its mark. But yeah. in the regional set, it's hard because here's what I've, I, I talked about this about four years ago. The UFC pretty much monopolized everything. For those who are sitting here wondering, like, whatever happened to, you know, um, Strike Force, whatever happened to this, like WEC, like there were some high level fighters that came out of WEC. Well, all those got bought out by the UFC. The UFC pretty much just took everybody. That's where Uriah Faber came from, and all these top dominant, dominant Cruz, Jose yes. Aldo. Like, they all I, came that was one of my much. favorite periods of time because as a guy, like right now, I'm the heaviest I've ever been in my entire life because I'm 31, I've grown, uh, grown into my body, but I've also done strength and conditioning and working out like. For the past eight or nine years so i put on like athletic muscle because i didn't want to be a tiny 135 my first fight ever i was walking at 150 at 150 or 151 and the fight was at 150 horrible idea i won it but horrible idea like i walk around now like 150 between 157 and 160 but that's like on purpose like when i'm training for a fight and i'm getting ready to like get down in an eight week camp like by the time i get to wake up week i'm like 148 like it's like I, i've slimmed down super quick but like watching the wec was like oh my god there are guys my height and weight fighting like it's not like man did you see that i don't know if you saw my instagram me standing next to rampage jackson and frank yeah. I'm not big as as enough. I'm not big as it is. And I literally watch these guys looking up to these guys, idolizing them growing up. And then when I'm standing next to them, Frank Mir shook my hand and I was like, bro, my hand is t- if this guy hits me, like he's gonna break my skull. Like his hand is the the fist is like the size of half of my face. I'm like, these guys are little are 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 massive. I'm like, I'm standing next to Rampage Jackson, and he's like all swollen shape. And I'm like, bro, like. I idolized them growing up, but when you see someone like with your body build and size frame, like I love that about fighting because in football, I didn't have a choice on what position I wanted to play. I'm 5'7", and when I was in college, I was 145 pounds. Then the, the coach was like, man, let's try and get you to like 170. I'm like, how the fuck am I going to put on 15 pounds of muscle? What the fuck? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> and we did so much running and conditioning and stuff. I, I could eat everything it was no way i was gaining weight uh and i'm 145 and i gotta go block like linebackers who are 240 250 because i'm a slot receiver so you're in there getting cracked i'm like i could never be like oh yeah i want to play middle linebacker no your body dictates what you can do and it's like okay well in fighting only your weight dictates what weight class you can do but you got 
guys who are 5'11 who are 135ers. You got guys who are five feet who are 135ers and everything in between. It's like when you see somebody with your, bo your body and your size frame and everybody can do it, no matter what your athletic ability or like your 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 weight because you can manipulate your weight going going to a different weight class it was like it was cool to see people my size like like going in there and and and, and actually fighting so that's when my eyes were like oh my god and then like you said the ufc had a monopoly they absorbed wec they absorbed strike force and all these other things uh um and then had all the weight classes all the way from 135 and then eventually added the 125 weight class but uh in America, we got these, the, you know, those main like three promotions. And now that UFL is on the scene, I don't think UFL is going to be riding the wave of these other promotions. I think the UFL is creating their own wave because the things they are doing are the things you would expect the top promotions in the United States to have the capital and the appreciation to do. But it's like if you're doing this from the ground, from the start, you don't think that they're going to start absorbing other fighters from other leagues who want health insurance and life insurance and 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 be better paydays and stuff like that. So I think the UFL is here to stay, and in a very short amount of time, as far as like business time, like three to five years, they will be surpassed in competing with some other uh, uh, large organizations. Totally, no, you're you're spot on. I love hearing that from a fighter's perspective because from a business perspective, obviously, I like. I run my own businesses outside of just doing the show and whatnot. And I love business. I think it's interesting. And I had Harrison Rogers, who is the commissioner, if you will, the owner of the UFL. He's the one who created it. I had him on the show. Um, I help him with his podcast that he does for his his uh, business and whatnot with Rampage and Tito and uh, and all them. So I love I love seeing them and working alongside them on that on that front. But just watching what he's done with the UFL is it's intriguing. I think they've created their own sector over here and it's going to disrupt the industry and yep. it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that some other promotions with like you said it perfectly cap they have all the capital why didn't they do it from the beginning i know it's not it's not cheap to have insurance yeah. like it's expensive it comes out of the owner's pocket it's a it's a lot of money if anybody understands business you want to go look at it it's a ton of money to even front that yes but you you have the psychological like tell me tell tell me real quick moon like from a fighter's perspective, what's the difference between like having health insurance and knowing that like, hey, if I get injured in camp leading up to this, how does that help you psychologically as you prepare for a fight? All right. So I've had a total of 14 uh, bouts as far as like sked, like sked, like not including smokers, but like like 14 bouts from amateur to professional. I've been injured in every fight prior to getting to the fight, except two. Like when I say injured, I don't mean hurt. I mean injured. Like I'm going in this with a fucking injury. And when I turn as an amateur, you're not getting paid. So it's like for the glory, like whatever. But like I knew I wanted to go pro. And to be, uh, Michael Bisping said it perfect. It takes confidence to take a day off. Like athletes are who they are because they have that edge of I got to do more, one more, just uh, one more session, one more rep. All this, I'm working when they're not working. But guess what? Both of you guys are working, thinking the same exact thing. And sometimes you can uh, – one of my head coaches, um, Lathan Lawson – well, my whole corner, Lathan Lawson, Cole Miller, and Bubby Mitchell, uh, like – like, hey man, you can literally grind. I told my coach, I was like, hey man, like I'm ready to go to, I'm ready to grind. He was like, now's not the time to grind. Now's the time to sharpen. It's like if you grind your, you can grind yourself to a halt, like a like a blade, like a knife. 
you keep grinding, trying to get it sharper, 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 sharper. Eventually, the blade is, is tiny. And it's like, that's not what you want to go to war with, with a two-inch blade. Like, you know, so it's like, we're in the training room. For me to prepare for a fight eight weeks out, guess what I'm doing for eight weeks? I'm fighting. <laughs> so, like, it's a combat sport. You're going to get dinged and bruised. So you don't want to mentally put yourself behind saying, eh, if I skip today, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Or maybe if I do a recovery session in the morning instead of a training session, because I sprained my, I got a high ankle sprain or I got a, a messed up AC joint or a, a, a sprained LCL. All these are actual injuries that I've acquired in, in camps. It's like sprained LCL three weeks before a fight. It's like, fuck but in three weeks before a fight like training is mandatory i don't miss a training session and if you miss it you feel mentally like oh my god i'm not doing enough but like you don't have health insurance so you can't just go get it checked out and to see if it's even a lot of times fighters don't even really know what's wrong because they don't have health insurance they're like man it's something in my knee yeah. well which, which l lcl mcl lcl acl is it your is it your it band like it, did you strain the, the upper part of your cap like but we're just kind of doing guesswork and then we say what slap a knee brace on it go in there and train just because we don't we, we don't know and it's like well we're relying on the money it's the weirdest thing in the world to work for 12 uh, for 8 10 12 weeks and not get paid until you show up and do the job so i got to do all the work for 12 weeks 10 weeks 8 weeks get to the fight and then fight and then back pay everybody back pay the gym back pay the coaches back pay your this back pay and then pay all this stuff that you've been trying to live off of pennies for uh, uh two or three months and you're hurt you're injured and you can't even afford to go to the doctor because you don't have health insurance so you got to go into the fight that night with the injury and the night of the fight you got to say ah, i hurt my ankle in the fight <laughs> or i hurt my dick so it's just like why like that just doesn't make sense to me when our sport literally is to do more damage to this other person than they do to you it's a damaging sport and it's like the peace of mind that i got knowing that they gave me health insurance outside of the fight my whole training regimen just was like <clears throat> like hey bro we good let's do this I had more recovery sessions than I've ever than I've ever had. I'm like, hey, now I can go uh, go to this chiropractor, see are they are they in the network? All right, cool. I can get a massage. I can schedule the, a a, re, a rehab a, a rehab or prehab session on something that's just tweaked before it gets too bad. And it's like having that peace of mind as a fighter is just it's priceless. And then it's not just a peace of mind to me. I told Harrison Rogers this like. This was the words out of his mouth. He's such a cool dude. Like when we spoke and like just real genuine, I was like, before I spoke to him, I spoke to one of the media guys and it was like, hey man, they saw me, my coach and my and my, my coaches and my teammates just talking uh, in the hallway at a hotel, just kind of just chilling before we was cutting weight. And he overheard us talking. He was like, you guys mind if I like record y'all? I was like, like I don't, I don't care. He's like, I'd, I'd love to like show this to the higher, like, you know, Harrison Rogers and stuff like that. And I was like, man, the appreciation doesn't just come from the fighters. It comes from the fighters family. When I told my mom and my sisters and everybody that, Hey, like I got health insurance outside of, uh, of, of the fight night. They literally, it was like, 
oh my God, thank you. Like I could feel like a, a, a weight lifted off of their shoulders because they know what I do is a, is a dangerous job. And yeah. like they're biting their nails and teeth, like let's just make it to the fight. And then when you get to the fight, they're like, don't get hurt in the fight. Like, so when they heard that, my mom was like, oh my God, thank, like, thank the UFL. And I was like, yeah, like thank the UFL. Now I can do my job with a lot less pressure uh, uh, than I've done it before. My uh, my original MMA coach, Kurt Reinhardt, told me, he was like, hey, man, the highway is littered with animals who couldn't make a decision. So either cross or don't cross. Otherwise, you're going to be roadkill. And if you're training and you have a bum knee and you're like, ah, I can't throw this kick or if I throw this kick, pull back or, or if I'm this, I can't sprawl correctly. If you're half doing something, you're more inclined to get injured than not because you half do it and they all the way do it. Now you're in a weird, funky position. Your knee gets twisted even more. But knowing if I have health insurance, my knee is tweaked, guess what? I just go get it checked out. And they're like, hey, look, don't do any uh, outward rotation on this or these kind of steps for the next three days. Do some prehab or next week. Then I can say I can modify my training because I know what is wrong. And it's like, that's a, that's a peace of mind. That's something that you can't pay for. So even though it costs the owner much more, loyalty is priceless. Oh, yeah. So, like, I feel like I'm loyal and indebted to the UFL. Like, I love doing for someone. So when someone does for me, I'm like, how can I do? I have a 10x rule since I was a kid. I was the little crazy psycho kid that would lose my temper if you threatened to fight me. Like, yeah, that was me as a very young, young kid. And I learned to tame that through, like, martial arts. But I had a 10x rule because I was a small kid. I'm like, if you if you fucked with me. I'm going to get you back 10 times as bad. So, you know, if you get me back again, I'm going to come back 10 times worse than that. So people just stop fucking with me because it's like, this kid's crazy. And then I have that same rule for people who do good to me. I'm like, if you treat me with love and respect and, uh, and appreciation, I'm going to give you that times 10. So to feel that from a company, when I told Harrison Rogers, I was like, man, I appreciate fighting for the UFL. Like it was an honor fighting for your, you know, for your business. His first response was, Hey bro, it's not my business. It's our business. You have stock in the company. And I was like, <laughs> what do you respond to that? <laughs> no, it's, it's so cool, man. I think it's such a great setup. I, I'm a big fan. Like I said, I'm a huge fight fan outside of just being podcast host and doing this show. Like, I'm a huge fight fan just around all the combat sports and uh, like business. And so I think the way that, he has set it up and you just mentioned the stock options and so forth. Like the fighters get to be a part of that, not only through health insurance, you get covered there, but you get to be invested literally into the business and help it grow, not only from a fighting perspective, but from a financial perspective. And it does set you up. And I think it's awesome that you're part of the beginning stages of it. It's, it's just yeah. cool from a fighter's perspective. And yeah, it's awesome to hear about the health insurance and how that helps you psychologically in your camps. But you know, as you went into the last fight, so this was just what two weeks ago, if that. Not yeah, know, from the time um, recording. Yeah, week and a half. yeah, about a week and a half ago. February eighteenth. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. okay. Um, looks like it ended well for you. So as you go in there, uh, you you keep talking about your grappling experience, but then it didn't end like that. That's what was funny. That's typically what happens. You get like a grappler or a dominant grappler, and or you get two of them. It ends up being a strike fest or something happens in the striking game. So talk to us about how the, the fight ended for you and what you read from your opponent to allow you to hit a one-two. Yeah, so so early in my amateur career, I got a lot of submission wins. So I went 
eight and zero total as far as like one more tie match, but like seven and zero uh, MMA. Um, I think I had five finishes via submission, or four four or five finishes via submission, and I had one knockout. Uh, but all the submissions that I got was not me shooting on anyone. <laughs> I only had one submission that I got where the guy made a mistake, and then I capitalized, but. He went to go for a high kick. I pushed forward, so he hit the ground. But the second he hit the ground, uh, he didn't do a technical stand-up. So he put both hands on the mat, and I just jumped on his back. But every other one, people shot on me because of my striking. So it's a very weird, like, when you look, you're like, oh, sub, 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 like, yeah. decision, sub, decision, knockout, sub. And then my pro career goes, sub, decision, decision, sub. You're like, dude, this dude's like a submission artist. And it's like, I am, but... I'm not really going out there doing a lot of shooting. I did a lot of shooting in my fight against Alexander Shank because I was developing things and like, this is the time to test it live. The guy was really good striking and I knew I would have an advantage on the ground. So I would go there. Um, I am a true mixed martial artist. I have a wide base. I am good in a lot of areas. I might not be great in one particular area. I have areas that are better than the other, but like, we pride ourselves like we're in the gyms that we train at is being well-rounded because if you're good at striking, then we're going to grapple. And if you're good at grappling, then we're going to strike. Like we're going to keep it simple. Hey, you're good at both of those. How good are you at cage uh, uh, wrestling and dirty boxing? Like it is so many aspects to a fight where my coach always tell me like when you're going to fight, you're going, you got to think of it as going to war, right? Like, you go to war, you lose troops in war. Your troops are your brain and, and your limbs and, and everything like that. So why go to war if you don't have to? So uh, essentially, we saw what my opponent was good at. We went to the drawing board. They laid out a game plan. And I always have it in my back pocket. If the game plan isn't working, we could just turn this shit chaotic. We could just turn this into a dogfight. Uh, me and Alexander, Alexander Shank did that. They gave me a call on 18 days notice. Then they switched my opponent. Then they was like, hey, this is the guy we got available. He's not in your weight class. Uh, this is the skill. And I was like, all right. I knew that fight. It was just going to be a fight. It wasn't much game plan. I got 16 days. I got to focus on cutting the weight. I got to do this. Like, just other focus. So it was like, eh, there really wasn't a game, uh, uh, like a set in stone game plan. It was go out there. You got to fight. That went three rounds. Uh, and then, like, I'm like, if we know ahead of time, we can do our film study. So me and my coaches, we all sat down. Uh, we just kind of, we put me and him on paper and we say, okay, well, what are your strengths? Uh, what are your strengths, er, your, your attributes, and what are your weak areas? What are his strengths and attributes in, in his weak areas? And then it so happened that my strengths lined up with his his weak areas. And I can strike. It's not that I can't strike. Is you if you're if you could win fights on paper, then like you don't go in the ring. Like it don't work like that. So like uh, we saw some things that he did. We knew he was going to be big. We knew he was going to be strong. We knew uh, he you know like to pressure and we knew that he he's a black belt in jujitsu so it was like all right let's uh let's figure out how we can put a game plan together which gives me the highest percent chance of winning and if this guy uh sticks to the tendencies that he's stuck to the last couple fights uh then if i do my job i'll come out victorious and i picked up on some things super early in the fight like in the first 
10 seconds. I, uh, I, I do something depending on my opponent every fight, the first five to 10 seconds coming out. And depending on their reaction to it will give me my first read. Like, oh, he knows or he doesn't know. And I went out and in the first 10 seconds, I did something and I was like, check, he doesn't know. And then I just stuck to the game plan. It's like we knew he wanted to pressure, be aggressive, and he was coming to us, coming to us, trying to press me back against the cage. Um, I take pride in my footwork, being able to fight out of both stances, not just in southpaw and orthodox, but to be the ability to switch from one to the other. Uh, and that comes from years of, of training it. We've been training that since I was an amateur. Like when my first ever coach was like, we literally knew that, hey, you got jujitsu and now you're getting your Muay Thai, right? And Muay Thai and, and kickboxing. But like, you're going to start facing a bunch of wrestlers. So as an amateur, I faced a bunch of wrestlers. That's why I got all the submissions because as soon as the striking is not going anywhere, they, they shoot. And then like, yeah. all right, give up a neck, give up an arm, give up a whatever. And then like, then I get the submission. So uh, we learned how to fight wrestlers through switch uh, switching your stance. Like if a, if a wrestler is good at a single leg, uh, if you just move your lead leg back and go into southpaw, then you just eliminated a whole angle for them to attack. And then you can use that to bait them to come in for strikes now. And then it's like, okay, well, cool. If they're good uh, at double leg, why stand in the orthodox stance? I'll stand in the southpaw stance. So they got to do a cross side double, which gives me a different angle. So it was like, these are the things we've been implementing since yeah. I was an amateur. So now a lot of the stuff I don't have to even think about, I can just go out there and perform. So when I came out and, and, and made my first read, I was like, hmm, he doesn't know he doesn't know what's going on right now as far as what I did because he didn't react a certain way. I saw him like fumble his footwork. I was like, ah, okay, he doesn't know. And then he threw the, the kick and they landed. And I was like, okay, cool. He never turned his shoulders. And then I was like, all right, cool. And he threw it from southpaw and didn't turn his shoulders, which means you're lined up straight for the cross. And I was like, all right, cool. And he's pressuring me against the cage. And I was like, well, I gotta do something because he's trying to pressure too much. Throw a jab out. Threw the jab out. Boom, he reacted. I saw the reaction. Then he started pressing me back towards the cage again. And then he threw another kick. Boom, didn't turn his shoulders again. So I'm like, oh, I got the read that I want. Then I said, I got to get off the cage because he thinks he's going to pressure me and just keep pushing me back. I hit my cross. I step on, I, I, I throw a cross just as like a warning that if he comes in, like, hey, you're going to run into this cross. But when I do it, I step off. And when I step off, I cut a hard angle to force him to turn into me. And when he turned into me, I switched at the same time and he didn't recognize that I was in Southpaw. Or if he did, he didn't defend accordingly. Right. So the second that he stepped off, you'll see me do a step off and then I'll rock back and then my, I'll take my left side back. And now my rear hand, which was in the back when I turn, is now my jab hand. And I popped the jab out. And when I hit him, he parried late. And I was like, got him. Like, jab. Perfect. And then on the second one, I, I popped the jab. He parried early. I turned it into a hook. That shot actually rocked him before the last hook cross. I rocked him, boom. And I felt it because I hit him directly on the chin. And I only had this in one other fight. Uh, it's a weird feeling when you're striking and you hit somebody directly on the chin. You can almost feel their body go light. Yeah. It's a weird thing. You a boxer, so you probably uh, uh, like you know what I'm talking about, right? right. Like, yeah, you hit him in the head. It's different. You might get a hard shot, but they can like absorb it better because you know 
all the, the skull and everything like that. But if you get one on the chin, you can kind of feel it in the strike. It's like, oh, that was, I caught him. And I thought I did, but I wasn't aware just yet. And then he put his hand out to like brace on my lead hand or, or throw a jab, whatever it was. And I saw him miss his step. And I was like, I rocked him. So when he missed his step, he took a hard like angle, a hard angle out to try and push me back into the power hand. But what I do, I switched back to orthodox to move my head further. And the second I saw him miss his step, I made the decision that I'm going forward. I'm not going back out. So you'll see me float. And then as soon as I float and he's like, he catches his footing, I'm just, I'm bulldogs. I go forward and it looked like a jab, but it was really a hook. It was a long yeah. range hook. And boom, long range hook. I saw his face turn and I knew it was over on the hook. And I just, I, I, it's programmed in my head. I don't have to think, throw, hook, cross. It's like, it's programmed, especially fighting a southpaw because those are your counter shots for each other. And I threw it and I landed. And it just so happened that he kept pressure into his own default. And he, and he also was throwing the kick at the same time and he never turned his shoulders. So it was like, he was trying to play the game of I'm rocked, but I don't want to show you I'm rocked. So I'm gonna keep coming forward, but I already peeped it when 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 he moved that he missed the step, and I was like, all right, well I'm going forward now, and he was throwing the kick. He touched the kick here, but we got trigger drills. The second something touched, boom, you go. So it touched, and I already touched the hook, and I just brought it back up, threw the cross down the pipe, and he was he was flatlined before he hit the uh, before he hit the mat. When he hit the mat, it actually woke him back up, and the referee stumbled. So I had to like go in and do some ground and pound, but I, th I was, I thought I was like, oh, this is a walk off KO and I was about to like stop. And then the referee stumbled and I was like, well, I saw him wake back up and I was like, all right, well, you got to go back to sleep. <laughs> in, in the words of uh, Jorge Masvidal, super necessary. Oh, it was super necessary. Super necessary. <laughs> super necessary. No, it looked super clean. It's cool hearing you walk us through that now. Moon, what's, uh, what's the plan for the next fight? So tell the audience right now where we can find you, where we can, follow your story and, and just kind of follow yeah. you whether it's social media you got a website anything and then yeah so um uh my social media is just uh my first name and my last name mma but it's just amun a-m-u-n underscore cosme underscore mma normally when you put amun i'm normally like the first one to pop up um that's where you can follow me i'm pretty active on social media because like it benefits me as a fighter to continue to push my content out there uh i have to relaunch my website because i didn't do anything for the past six months of last year because i had just life going on uh so uh but it's my first name and last name.com i'm uncosme.com i'll have it up and rolling uh probably in the next two or three weeks but um yeah that that's uh pretty much it if you if you just Look up on Cosme. You'll find me on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, I don't tweet. I don't tweet. I don't know how I don't have a Twitter. I don't have a TikTok. You won't catch me doing any funky dances on some maybe in a cage. But like, you know, uh, as far as other social medias is just just my uh, Instagram and my Facebook. This is my brand. Uh, my name is Moon. So my brand is Lunar Unlimited. And uh, kind of my mission statement for the brand is um to break the imposed limits that you put that we put on ourselves. Like, uh, you know, you got to test your limits to know your limits. When you know your limits, you can push them. And when you push them, you can break them. So like, uh, I, I want my brand to inspire, inspire others to like be a positive influence, influence to whoever's around them, uh, and ultimately break whatever limit. 
My bad. Uh, got a phone call right there. Just came through. But uh, yeah, just to break whatever limits that uh, not other people put on you, because that's not important, but whatever limits you're putting on yourself. And uh, that's my brand. My link is in my bio uh, of my Instagram. And there is also the name of my page is Lunar Unlimited. So if you put Lunar Unlimited in Instagram, you'll see uh, uh, you'll see um, my business page. And uh, that's pretty much it. My next fight is going to be the second weekend, the second weekend in August in Utah for UFL two. I entered a one thirty five tournament. I got a first round knockout. My opponent also fought that night, and he got a third round knockout. Uh, he's from Armenia, and uh, foreigners just fight different than Americans. Uh, I know from experience, I fought foreigners. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they feel like they're in enemy territory when they're here, but they fight hard and they don't quit and they don't give up. So this should be a very very entertaining fight. Um, and we're looking to go out there and uh, do our job. Like I said, if you focus on the win, sometimes uh, that that's a, a, a shallow goal. But if you focus on doing your job, a win will be the result of doing your job. So I'm looking to go out in August uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah, which I've never been. So I'm excited about that and uh, looking forward to going out and do my job. That's it. Heck yeah, man. Let's get it. I, and hopefully I can make it down there. I'll, if I do, obviously I'll stay in contact with you. Yeah. I encourage any of my listeners. Obviously, I got a ton of listeners in Utah, a ton in Idaho. My family's all in Salt Lake, so I might make it down there for that that promotion and check out your fight. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you know it down. It's only about four hour drive for me. And oh, that's not, so, that's not bad. That's not bad. So I'll see if I can make it down there. But I'll also make sure to link your your Instagram, Facebook profiles here, and then check out your your merch line as well. I'm going to encourage yeah. those who are listening to check out the line, check out his business, uh, buy a shirt, do something to support you know our guest right here because uh, we definitely got to know you now. Now it's time to support you the best way that we possibly can. And I'll make sure to link those here in the description of the podcast. I just want to say thank you oh, man. for taking your time, brother. And uh, we'll thank be you. chatting soon. All right, man. But I just oh, yeah. appreciate taking the time. Okay. Oh yeah. Much appreciated. Awesome. For those who are listening, make sure to leave a review of the podcast and we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks guys. Appreciate your support.